Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now it's time for the Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook pregame show with Score Morning Show co-host Mully from the Mully and Haw Show, Bears long snapping Iron Man Patrick Manley, and Score Football expert and former NFL player Anthony Heron on Sports Radio 670 The Score, Chicago's home for Bears fans. Always live on the free Odyssey app. Brought to you by Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook, official sportsbook of the Chicago Bears. Download the Bet Rivers online sportsbook app today. Happy New Year, everybody, and uh, and welcome to a uh, brand new year of Bears football. And the calendar turns, and everything's different. And throw out the records when these two teams meet. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning. Happy New Year. The, uh, let's do the new year. Let's go 2-0 and Bears for the 2023 to get started. How about that? Oh, that would be a strong start to the calendar year. <laughs> I, don't I don't think it's going to happen, but let's just it's always for hoping, right? It's a new year. You can always say yeah, that. Give us something well, to look forward to. You know, we're we're in the midst here of the eighth eight-game losing streak, and, and I really believe that we have reached the point where there is no reason to win. Where draft <laughs> position is the most important thing. Where you know, eight weeks ago, I would have wanted to argue that the idea of losing out for a couple of months, two and a half months, that did not appeal to me at all. But now that we are at this point, where frankly the uh, number one overall pick is kind of uh, in the wheelhouse, I I am I, I am not going to argue. With, uh, with the crowd that wants to lose because I think that there's not much to gain at this point in the season. I, I get it. I understand all the code talk of, well, we want to look at guys. Okay, sure you do. They've lost a lot of players. They had a limited amount of talent to begin with, and now the benefits of losing are, are significantly more attractive over the last two weeks of the season than they might be earlier in the year when you when you know you've got all that time in front of you and you're trying to keep everyone interested. I, I, I would argue that we really have hit that point where it's, it's hard for anyone to really want success. I, I get it. The coaches out there aren't out there trying to lose. Players want to win. You know, that's the point of the exercise. But I think that there are other concerns. No, I, I understand that, but I'm going to put my uh, helmet back on. <laughs> and I, I just, I can't, I, I you know, you got to win. They got to win one of these two games just to kind of 
all this hard work, the new coaching staff, everything that's been put in with the hits principle, the standard he's setting, the culture he's trying to set, you've got to win one of these games. And I understand the draft position all that, but I just think for the sanity of that locker room and that coaching staff and that organization, you've got to win one. And, I, it, and I, again, like I said, I understand trying to lose out and trying to get the number one pick, but I just got to put my helmet back on, and I, I, you've got to win one. You've got to win one. <laughs> I think that the – the, the locker room, the the culture, the mentality of the guys in the locker room, and, and certainly the energy they're playing with, I've been extremely impressed with them being able to kind of maintain that competitive temperament, maintain positivity. So I think even in the midst of, of the eight-game losing streak, and frankly, if they do lose the last two, it, it feels to me like the locker room itself has and would continue to stay intact pretty well. I think there's kind of a variety of reasons for that. I, I would – I, w- I would present the case, Mully, that it, it would depend, you know, because losing out yep. and, and potentially getting the number one overall pick, I definitely see the, the benefit to that for next season and beyond. But there is a scenario where where winning a game, perhaps winning even both these games, can still be viewed as beneficial because if you end up in a scenario where, you know, we, we saw Valus Jones have, like, by Valus Jones standards, a yes. bounce-back game last week as a returner, right. some nice grabs as a receiver – what if you see continued growth from Valus Jones over these last couple of games where there's some great connection between he and Justin Fields that leads to a, a win? You know, that's that's a very good thing when we're looking towards the development of the entire roster for next year. What if, what if you know, Travis Gibson or Dominique Robinson, what if they're starting to strip sack the QB and you get defensive touchdowns because they've, you know, emerged into some playmakers that help lead you to a victory? There, there's scenarios here. Whereas you see guys who you do hope will be a part of this thing moving forward, that you say if those individuals make winning plays, Chase Claypool has a a game-winning touchdown grab in a game where he's got 10 catches, 150 yards, and a couple of tugs, there's scenarios where you say, you know what, that actually could even outweigh the importance of, of that additional draft slot that you lose by by ended up you know winning a game here because you said you know what that guy can be something that we pair with the QB or something on defense that shows it has the potential to really be a part of winning. That's interesting. I, I you know I'm not I, again. I just think that the year turns. I think that things change, mm-hmm. and it, you've gotten to a point now where there's very little to play for, and and. <laughs> You know, you can argue that, well, if you want to be Detroit, and again, this is where the bar is set. Now, you know, we started out thinking they could be the Eagles. Now I'm reading stuff this week about how, hey, they can turn it around like Detroit did. I, I'm not overwhelmed by Detroit. I, I think that they're ahead of the Bears in their rebuild. Mm-hmm. So when you start talking about where the Bears fit into the division, these are, you know, they're dead last, and they've been – dead last for a while now, right? Um, they do not look like the team that is ready to take the next step. They got $110 million to spend, and they'll have a high draft pick, which presumably you could trade down and take. But part of the argument about becoming the Lions would be staying in the slot and grabbing a player that, you know, a defensive player that would turn your fortune if you believe that a Will Anderson had Hall of Fame potential, then maybe you don't trade. The problem is you just need so much that I don't even know we can legitimately have an argument about, you know, a Carter or Anderson or uh, or trading down. They they just need a lot 
And that, frankly, that second-round pick is long gone. And Chase Claypool, I'd like to see him play well just so you don't feel like that was an error. Yeah, no doubt about it. But I want to go back to what we were talking about there at the beginning. I want to bring this all back to like week one and two when we started this this uh, this season chatter, right? We talked about the growth of this team. We talked about would they win games at the end of the year because with all these young guys on this team, and Anthony, you're talking about those guys that would you want to see uh, Valus Jones grow and get better? I want to see them do that. I really do because that's what we wanted to see at the beginning of the, this year. We understood they weren't going to win a lot of games. We understand that we, they weren't going to go to the playoffs and all that, but I want to see some development continue through these last two games and them reap the benefits of that development with Justin Fields maybe winning a game in the fourth quarter on a fourth down uh, uh, fourth quarter drive. That that's what I want to see. I just I really want to see that in the next two weeks because I do think that goes a long way for this team in the offseason. These young guys need to understand what winning feels like, what going to the offseason feels like that know that to know that they have a chance to be better next year and become a pretty good team down the road with all the opportunities they have this offseason with Ryan Poles and the draft picks and all that draft capital you're talking about, Molly. And the, the true tangible evidence associated with that is it's important. You know, I mean, it's, it's one thing for, for all of us to, to feel confident that Justin Fields is the guy moving forward. He's going to continue to grow and develop, and we're really excited to see what happens when he's surrounded by more talent. But as I continue to remind people, there's not going to be 52 new people around Justin Fields. And so the, the guys who are currently on the roster, you need as many of them to emerge as individuals who – who can perform at a level that you think can lead to wins or perhaps even legitimately does lead to a win. And you say, okay, all right, that's a guy who can play winning football. Maybe we're good there. Maybe we can move on to some other slots and fill in some other holes. And we got so many holes, to your point, Melody, to be filled in, that if, if anyone emerges where you say that, that's at least somewhere we don't, we don't need to upgrade. I think everywhere virtually could stand an upgrade, but where where do we least uh, where do we least need an upgrade? Where's an upgrade required for us to start really trying to win games next season? And those spots have to be you know be able to show themselves at some point here, or it's just everywhere. It's just virtually every single slot is, is where you say we we have an opportunity to we we need something that can help lead to wins if wins don't end up coming. Now, how drastically does that change? By the end of this season, over the final two games, I think, you know, your your point is a valid one, Mully, that, that that ship kind of sailed to a certain extent. But for individuals who take the field, like, you know, frankly, if, if David Montgomery goes off of, over the last couple of games, I don't know that it drastically changes my perception of David Montgomery because he's got a pretty broad body of work here as a Chicago Bear. I think he's a good football – I think he's an excellent football player. Is he an elite Running back, no. He's not a touchdown waiting to happen, and I think we've seen that throughout his career. Uh, perhaps to some extent, Cole Komet, I would put in a similar category. Guys who are a good football player who I believe should continue to be around. But I think there's individuals who are still young enough in their development where I say, okay, if they, they could potentially really show something here that I think excites enough, and if it leads to a win because we see that emergence, like – Kyler Gordon, Jaquan Brisker, the, the way, especially Kyler Gordon here the last couple of weeks, if he does something like, you know, whatever, a game-winning pick six or something like that. I think all those things can be really positive signs that end up in a win, but in, in a way you look at that and say, you know what, there's something about that individual guy helping us win a game that's maybe even more important than that draft slot we may lose. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that you're absolutely right, that when we look, you, you know, you don't turn over – well, they turned over a lot of players last year. You know, but, but I would imagine that there will be about 30 of these guys 
that, and I'm, I'm that's a minimum that to fair. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About thirty players that will be back for another bite at that apple, and you know they, I believe, is they, is it eighteen? How many rookies have they used this year? A lot, and they still haven't. You know, they want to get to Jatari Carter if that can ever happen. So possibly against Minnesota, I just think that that when we start looking at the amount of money they have and the picks that they have, and, and we don't know how many they're going to accrue. There is a process to the offseason, and it starts with team president, right? We know Ted Phillips is hmm. retiring, and the word this week is that Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, is a guy that is a candidate for this job and that they would like for this job. Um, that that That's kind of the process. you got to get the – you got to get the – the Bears are – there is so much possibility for the Bears – in terms of the sort of, you know, China, if you will, uh, the sleeping giant that could be awakened. There's so much potential, so much earning potential with the franchise, which presumably would then put money back into player procurement, and you would have even better things going on with this team as you're building forward. But it starts with minimizing that. Um, You know, Anthony, you know him. He's the Big Ten commissioner. You uh, have been around a long time. I'd be curious, how well do you know him? What do you think of him? He's uh, Kevin Warren's a guy in the short time that he's been running the Big Ten conference. He's seen both ends of the, the perception spectrum in a really brief amount of time. When he, he first took over, you know, a couple of months into his job, his tenure as Big Ten commissioner, the world shuts down because of COVID, and he became pretty quickly the the main punching bag, the main pincushion, kind of the, the face of the COVID shutdown, certainly from a, a sports perspective. That that was Kevin Warren, and, and, you know, a lot of folks were obviously extremely highly upset by it, and he, he weathered that, and he was able to, to be that, that forward-facing uh, sort of individual for it, and in a similar capacity to what senior executives around the NFL, certainly NFL commissioner, has to be that forward-facing pincushion for a lot of decisions that aren't only you know within within their purview. You know, you, as a commissioner, you have to answer to all your other constituents, and then just sort of present the the groupthink basically. But it's not like Roger Goodell is in his office at the National Football League headquarters and just you know pulling all these strings on his own. He's got. 32 different NFL owners who say, here's what we'd like, here's our goal, here's the sanctions we think should be here or there. And then, you know, he kind of just, you know, helps to sort of guide it and organize everything. And and Kevin Warren had to do that as Big Ten commissioner, answering to presidents and chancellors around the Big Ten conference. In the end, the fact that he was he was able to navigate that, able to navigate that that public heat that came from from shutting down the, the Big Ten football season and bringing it back later on, and you know his his demeanor throughout that entire time was was very calm, very serene, cerebral, uh, methodical is one of his favorite words that he uses because he tries not to be too rash in his decision making. And the fact that he's been able to to be in that position where he was only a couple of months into the job and whether you agree with it or not, and some folks like myself did agree with a cautious approach there. There's obviously a lot of other folks who didn't. Regardless of that, it was an immensely difficult decision to make, and it was a decision that that he knew and that the Big Ten knew would take a whole lot of heat, that folks would be highly upset about pulling the, the most lucrative 
conference, uh, most lucrative college football season out from under them. And he was willing to make that call. And so it's someone who has made decisions, made big decisions, crucial decisions on on international stages. And to have that type of experience in-house and then you see the way that he, that his image, that the Big Ten has been able to recover since then and now even enhancing the coffers of the conference, the most lucrative television deal, media rights deal that anyone has ever seen before, and adding USC and UCLA from the Pac-12, bringing the L.A. market into it, using the NFL model to be able to negotiate this broadcast deal that brought in so much money to the league, to the conference, negotiating with student-athletes about their compensation, being willing to have those discussions and try to help lead the, the sport, not just his conference, but the entire sport, into what the future of intercollegiate athletics look like it's going to be from a compensation perspective. And then you look back at his Vikings resume, and there's a big reason that, you know, that, that Minnesota was disappointed to see him go, where he helped negotiate uh, or helped to you know, put in place the systems that built their U.S. Bank Stadium and how most people think it's a beautiful venue. There's just a lot on his resume that it would seem like it would be a home run hire for the Bears. My big question is, I don't know, it, it feels like, it, it could be perceived as a step down. So my best guesstimate from what I've known about him and my interactions with him is that it, it could just be a quality of life thing. You know, maybe he's he's always been in the NFL as a professional for the most part and just all these other plates you have to spin as a as a conference commissioner, perhaps it just doesn't appeal to him as much as, as being able to be back in the NFL and have more of a, a focused job task day in and day out. Pat, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of potential with this organization when yeah. you look around the NFL. I mean, it, the Bears don't and haven't, and I'm not blaming Ted, but I mean, you know him very well. Mm-hmm. What what do you uh, what do you think about the potential for the franchise moving forward, especially well, with the new state? Molly, it's huge. I mean, th- like you, you you mentioned it there, Anthony. It, does he want the job? What's the what's the price going to be? We talked about it Friday with Zach Zaidman. What is he getting paid by the Big Ten? What are the Bears willing to pay him? You know, that, that's, that's one question that everybody has when they take a job, right? How much are you getting paid? If it's equal, is this his passion and his, his drive, what he wants to do to run the Bears franchise? And, Mully, you're right. It's a huge opportunity. we got Arlington. you got all this stuff you can do. You can build this charter franchise into something grand. You could make it back to what it, what it should be and what it, what it could be here in Chicago. And I think it's a great opportunity for him. I hope he takes it. Just what you talked about there, Anthony, his, his resume is amazing. He sounds like a leader. He sounds like a football guy. Everybody talks about a football guy. He's got a background of, of running two organizations and the Lions and the, and the, and the Vikings. Um, I would love for him to take it, and I just think the opportunity for this organization, you, what other organization in the NFL right now has this opportunity? You've got a young quarterback. You've got the property out there in Arlington Heights. You've got, uh, you've got the opportunity to run the charter franchise. I, I, if he wants it, and that's his drive like you talked about, I, I think it's awesome. I hope he does take it. And, and, you know, frankly, and we got to get to a break, but I think that when you look at the situation itself, I think he's going to have success if he takes it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I think there's so much sitting there. You want to look like a million. And I'm not saying he's not, you know, maybe overqualified or, or whatever, <laughs> but he's going to succeed at this job because this is a job that you could probably – you could probably – I don't want to say double the, the value of the organization, but there, maybe double the value of the organization. No, you're, right. No, you're right. I mean, that's the opportunity here. I mean, they've done great things. So, okay, Ted Phillips did some things. He underachieved. Ted Phillips overall, he underachieved. But he got a new uh, new Hallis Hall built. He got the stadium built here originally, you know, yeah. back in 2002 yeah. or one or whatever it was. 
Um, right. But now Gavin has a chance to take this even just, like you said, double that, that which, was, which is amazing, which would be an awesome opportunity for him. The on-the-field right, portion of it, you got the quarterback. In theory, if you got the quarterback, you're on the ground floor of that, and then all the financial ramifications of maybe building a stadium in Arlington Heights, you can have the financial end of it that you're on the ground floor of something huge. We got Tim Twentyman joining us from, uh, from Detroit, Lions.com. We're going to talk to him about this team and if they've broken through and what they've seen. You know, the, the interesting question for them is, do they have a quarterback or do they need to draft one? And we'll, uh, we'll talk to Tim about that next. You're listening to the pregame show here on The Score. I, I'd be surprised if he wasn't, I put it that way. I mean, I, I think when you look at what that franchise needs, what he would bring to the table, and again, all the cards aligning kind of for this to happen, I'd be surprised if it didn't happen at this point. You know, I'm not reporting that. That's my personal opinion. But I, I just don't think it gets to this point without him ultimately, you know, getting that job. We're back with more of the Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook pregame show on Sports Radio 670 The Score with Mully, Patrick Manley, and Anthony Heron. Brought to you by Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook, official sportsbook of the Chicago Bears. Download the Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook app today. Oh, welcome back to the pregame show. And we should let you know the pregame is presented by Bet Rivers, the official sportsbook of the Chicago Bears. Download that Bet Rivers app today. And that was the voice of Matt Fortuna. He's with The Athletic. He was on with, uh, with Dan and Lawrence uh, earlier in the week. And it's interesting to hear, um, uh, you know, kind of everyone's take on this. I, my take on it, is if I'm Kevin Warren and I've said this, I'd be interviewing George and company as much as they'd be interviewing me, right? I'm just saying. You got a good job. You got things going well. And uh, and you're right about him maybe wanting to get back in the league. But, but Pat, this is, a different, this is a different group. I mean, you only were, were with the organization, but I'm sure you have friends around the league and you've talked about it. And, and I've talked about it with many a player. This is a different deal. Uh, in Chicago than elsewhere. So I would want to know that I had the kind of power to do what I needed to do. I'm not saying that they would put up any kind of fight on anything you do, but this is just a different type. You know, the McCaskies, for whatever you want to say about them, their their money is in football. Mm-hmm. They they do not have outside business ventures that are that are supplying them the capital to work the football. This is their kind of baby and there's very little that uh that you'd see outside of this so you'd you'd have to have the commitment from them and the and the understanding you know we talked about how great the job could be but it also could you could wind up in a position where oh boy this is not the way things were elsewhere that i have been this is a different right but he but he all right he's been with the lions right and they've been a kind of a struggling organization my my thing is you you you're right. You got to interview the McCaskies and the Bears organization as much as you get interviewed because there has to be a lot of questions. But it's been so bad for the last decade. He might have the opportunity to really run the entire building. You know what I mean? He might have the opportunity. That George is like, all right, I have not done well enough, and George has said that. That listen, you are in charge. All right, I'm the boss, but you're in charge. You know what I mean? That, that it's just so. I think he will. If he is going to interview or has interviewed, he knows how to ask the right questions to what he wants answered to make sure that this is the job for him. 
and I hope it works out for him. It just his resume and what you talked about, Anthony, sounds like he's the perfect person. But I think he's been around enough, been with two organizations that are kind of different with the will, uh, the, uh, with the Vikings and the Lions, and two different kind of ownership right. people that he knows the, the the right questions to ask. And it is an opportunity that you know if if he does get to to truly run this organization, that would be a lot of fun. If George kind of steps away and says, listen, I'm not good enough at what I'm doing right now. You can tell me how to do this. You've been at other places. You've run the Big Ten. Let's go. You're in charge. I think it would be kind of interesting to see what uh, what he could do with this organization. It feels like this this will largely come down to this, this decision. And, and who is Kevin Warren employed by moving forward here essentially will come down to what's he driven by. Mm-hmm. You know, like what, what motivates him for this next phase? He's, he's still in his 50s right now. So he's still got a lot of time to to pursue a variety of different career ventures, but he's already you know he's already achieved being at the sort of at the top of the food chain in the uh, in the athletic world. He sure. is by by many accounts he is he has now become very quickly certainly one of the the most powerful individuals in sports as the commissioner of the Big Ten because his decisions sway and and shift and alter the intercollegiate athletic landscape because of the position. He's in and running the Big Ten and the the success he's begun to have in putting deals in place, putting monumental contracts in place for the Big Ten. So if he's motivated by continuing to do that now, you know, like, you know, talking to Zach on Friday, one one of his cases was well, essentially like, what more can he do when you look at the deals he's put in place for the Big Ten here? Like maybe he's maxed that out. I don't necessarily think that's the case because the you know, the college sports landscape is going to continue to shift and you know, there's going to be more deals to put in place for the Big Ten. There's going to be new dealings with student-athletes and how compensation works. There's always challenges when, when you're in a gig like that. But is he perhaps motivated by, like some people say, to to perhaps? Like even when he was still with the Vikings, before he's made all this news with the Big Ten the last couple of years, while he was in Minnesota and a lot of folks outside of Minnesota, outside the NFL, didn't know a lot about Kevin Warren, he was rumored to potentially be the man who would one day replace Roger Goodell back then. Hmm. And now we've seen all these, all, all these stories that have been there, all these deals that have been made in the last few years since then. So is he motivated by perhaps being back in a position to, to be able to be the NFL commissioner one day when Roger, Roger Goodell steps aside? Or to the point I mentioned earlier, quality of life is huge. Like, yeah. You know, for me, from my perspective, we all view the, you know, the job landscape and what appeals to us differently. Quality of life is a really big deal. Now, the money's got to be right, to Patrick's point. You know, I mean, yeah. the Bears got to say, hey, we're going to pay you somewhere in the realm or if not, at least matching what you were making as Big Ten commissioner here. But being the, the president of an NFL franchise, that that's still, it's got a lot on your plate. You're still going to have some sleepless nights. There's no doubt. But there's not the variety of headaches that would come from both the academic end of being yeah. a conference commissioner and the athletic end of it and all these other outside entities that you were constantly having to navigate both in men's sports and women's sports and all the other things are going to be you know shifting and reshaping under your feet within that. So if, if he feels like, you know what, just being back in the league is just more appealing than having to deal with all this student-athlete stuff and all the different, you know, welfare issues that are going on there and how do you take care of them and how do you let other folks step in and take care of them. You know, th- there's just a lot that's already going on that will continue to be altered in, a, in intercollegiate athletics. And there's a chance he's just like, you know what, I'm kind of done dealing with that. But mm-hmm. your, your point, Molly, I think is an excellent one about – interviewing the McCaskies as well to know what he's really going to be dealing with if he does start running the Bears. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I, I think you look at Ted Phillips and you look at his rise, right? I, I, I we don't have time to go through all the <laughs> all the the kind of soap opera that went on here, but the fact of the matter is that Ted was the team controller, and he basically was working for Dave Wanstead at one point. I mean, it, you know, it, the coach, the GM, whatever role you want to put in. And then Ted, one of three vice presidents, when the when when Michael McCaskey, the late Michael McCaskey, God rest his soul, when he uh, kind of botched up the hiring of Dave McGinnis, and then Dave walked away and wouldn't take the job, they they had to turn then to Dick Duran, and at that point they had Michael become the the, the uh, Ed left again, God rest his soul, mm-hmm. left his job as the uh, as the, uh, the, uh, the the CEO. He became the CEO emeritus. Michael became the CEO, and they had Ted come in as the president. And it was a, it was an arbitrary decision, frankly, at the time. There were three vice presidents. He was the one that they chose. That's all fine and well. And he did a great job, as Patrick mentioned, of getting that building up and running. You know, for whatever reason, Michael didn't get along with uh, the old mayor Daly, and they they were kind of banging heads and never got that building built. And then in a year. All of a sudden, Soldier Field is up and they're making money. Now, the minute it opened, it was kind of antiquated. There's other issues involved, <laughs> but they did get it up. My point is simply, in my opinion, Ted believed that his job was to protect the family. Mm-hmm. And he really seemed to operate with that in mind and, and try to make sure that, that he was kind of the, the, um, the bodyguard of the McCaskies, for lack of a better term. And I don't believe this is what the job is anymore. I think that the job Certainly not has what changed. it should be, right? No, it's, no 100%. Maybe never 100%. should 100%. Maybe never should have. Pat, you know him, obviously. Mm-hmm. Ted was, was omnipresent. Um, it's not just a – you know, the, more, the, the argument was that Ted was building the building while Jerry Angelo was putting together the team that you guys went to the Super Bowl with. Mm-hmm. And then once Ted finished with the, with the building, he wanted to get into the football. And once that happened, that's when things kind of went awry. It did. No, no offense to anyone. No, but I'm, it did. You were there. You, you I mean, the, rec- the record speaks for itself, right? Ted's, yeah. Ted's record's not good enough. Obviously, I've known Ted for a long time, friends with him, uh, hug him when I see him, all that kind of stuff. But if you were to evaluate him like I was a football player, it wasn't good enough. He didn't, we didn't win enough with the Bears organization. He made bad hires in GMs and coaches, head coaches after, after – uh, Kind of, I guess, when I was there and went and afterwards. So it's, you know, he didn't do a good enough job football wise. The other thing is the NFL was just skyrocketing, right? It was just, I think it was easy to make money. Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft came in, they changed the NFL, and it was just, I, I think, I hate saying this and I say it every now and then. I think I could have run the Bears and still made money for this organization because <laughs> the entire NFL was making money. Even the Bengals were making money when they weren't trying to make money. So I, I just think that. The job, I'm not saying it was easy, but it was there for him to be successful just because the NFL was taking off. But he did an okay job, like I said, with the with the stadium, what he's done, uh, him and Ryan Pace, what they did with Hallis Hall now. It's one of the top probably four or five facilities that, that the guys get to practice at, so that's a great job he's done there. But, again, I think the NFL money was just kind of coming in with all the TV contracts being, being – uh, you know, just, there was just money to be made. And I don't think his job – I hate saying this – is it. It's, it's, it's hard. It was a hard job, but it was easier with, with all the other owners helping him out and helping all the other organizations out. And uh, I think in this next phase for the Bears, it, it'll be important for whomever ends up stepping in after Ted Phillips to, to be in, in a position where 
where they can modernize the franchise. You know, it was one concern I had with who the next GM hire was going to be. Is this someone who can help modernize the infrastructure in a way that allows people to to develop in a, in a way that we haven't seen? We haven't seen coaches get better in their time season over season as they've been coaching the Bears, and we don't see the development of the talent, the talent that they draft. Or if they you know, sign a young football player, are they getting better in the time that they're actually with the Bears and practicing and meeting at Hallis Hall? Then that hasn't seemed to work out for whatever reason. There are franchises around the NFL that do seem like they, they consistently develop individuals. The, the head coach can have sustained success. The assistants on that head coach's staff get other opportunities, and they go on and bring their greatness elsewhere. That hasn't been the resume of the Bears over the past decade plus, the people who are who are here in Chicago, people who are working at Hallis Hall, whether it's players or executives, where you say, you know what, all right, that's an individual that learned something on the do- job here and the task at hand. They got better at it in a way that turned into sustained success for the team, for them as individuals. So that a lot of that is how does your infrastructure now allow people to improve, now nurture that improvement, that development. And that's where even though, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily term Kevin Warren as like quote unquote football guy. He's been in in, yep. in the NFL for years and in athletics for years, but he's not gonna like get on the grease board and say, Well, you know, hey, here's what I think Justin Fields should be doing in, instead or something like that. But he has overseen athletics, he has overseen coaches, he he has been a, a chief executive at the highest of levels for years now. And to be able to bring his gravitas into the room, perhaps that is something that gives the the Bears an additional buffer that could be very useful because if he gets into the room with with the McCaskies and says, all right, so I've I've gotten a sense for how you guys operate, how you run things, but if you want me to step into this and bring the Chicago Bears into the future, into this this oncoming NFL future, then here's what I need. And part of that might be I I need a wall up. Yeah, I'm going to report to you quarterly and tell you how things are rolling, but I don't necessarily need you, you know, in my office giving me your opinion on this or that. Or frankly, if you do, I need you to recognize that the buck stops with me. So, you know, you you wonder how those discussions have Mm -hmm. gone, how they would continue to go and and how much, to your point, Mully, Kevin Warren is in a position to to get into the weeds on how things operate and how he could be in a position to step in and, and try to improve the inner workings at Hallis. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's a great job because I yes. think there's only one way to go. And for the reasons we talk about, the, the NFL, you know, the Bears have not tapped into owning their own state. You know, the, the value of the franchise improved the day they bid on that land, right? Yeah. And if they can actually get it done and build the building, right? And I, I'm not saying that, that I doubt that, but that's a, that is a monumental task. If they can get it done, they're set for years and years. And, and you know, we know that when Soldier Field, the smallest building in the in the uh, NFL, the minute the thing opened, the Bears were they had they didn't know what to do with all the money that was coming in. But that did not that did not sustain, and that did not mean that they just had been in a terrible position before. This would be ownership. Of, I mean, this potentially 
would mean generational wealth and would would you know I, I know the Bears have a uh, have uh, something in place that that this generation of McCaskies will be able to own the team. I don't know with, with all the heirs. I don't know how that works moving forward. And I think hmm. that's one of the problems they're going to have to deal with is is what happens after this generation. The youngest of whom is Brian, who has got to be in his early 60s, right? So I, I think that, that you look at it and you wonder to yourself, like, what does the future hold for McCaskey ownership? But at the same point, if, even if you eventually have to sell, you're talking about an entity that would be worth – I mean, billions more than it's listed as being worth right now because of the fact of, of how it began and what it represents and the, the, the impact of Chicago and how many people are, are connected to it. So it's a job that is – it's a great job if you're allowed to do it. <laughs> if you're allowed to do yeah. it, right. right. And there's, there's examples not only around the NFL where Jerry Jones takes – you know, Cowboy Stadium out to, to Arlington, Texas, and, and what yeah. that happened. But even just here in the city, what the Ricketts family did without having to move Wrigley Field, but in buying up Wrigleyville and, and turning that into a cash cow for them and putting that investment in, and now that investment is paying tenfold for them. And, you know, you would imagine that, that the Bears have been able to sit back and look at all those examples, both within their league and within their city, for what the, the financial ramifications could be of a move to Arlington Heights and how, if they do it correctly, that they can maximize the, their, their own pockets, their own wealth, and in theory, hopefully for Bears fans, their success on the field that could be associated with it too. All right, we've got to get back to the football game. This is fun, though, <laughs> and I think that this is as important. Molly, this offseason is going to be amazing, right? With the draft and this talk, it's going right. to be great. Yeah. Yeah, we're just we're expecting like a you know a, a new president, a new direction, uh, an entirely new team to a large extent, <laughs> right? Yep. I mean, when we say they could add twenty players, we you know we're not talking about adding twenty guys. You know, we're talking about blue players. We're talking about purples. You know, go out, get the best of the best. You know, when you got one hundred and ten million, it sounds like a lot of money, but but you know you that's going to be eaten pretty quickly. Um, hopefully. They find players on the free agent market. Again, you're paying for that. You are paying premium prices when you're shopping in free agency. But the draft picks, they can maximize that, get young talent, keep – hopefully they have some young players that are going to move forward here with them and improve and, and all the things you talk about with player development, which, you know, I, I got to tell you, I want to see more of it, frankly, because – I've seen a lot of guys play this year, but I'm not sure how many of them are keepers. Maybe we should get into that a little bit about who we want to see play and what it means, various things they've said, even this week. You know, when you're talking about moving your three technique to defensive end, you're hmm. saying we need a new three technique. And if this guy's sticking around, he's going to have to play some defensive end and play all over the line. But we'll get into that. There's a lot of fun stuff to talk about. It is the pregame show on the score. I mean, you know, when you're at where our roster is right now at the end of the year, you know, we got a lot of guys on IR, so the combinations really aren't that many that you can do, but certainly we're going to move guys around a little bit, you know, potentially offensive line, defensive line, but it's not any big shift, you know. For example, we might look at, you know, Justin Jones might be a three technique, we might put him out of end, you know, so that's a that's an example that we might have. We've talked about doing that before, so just a couple things like that. 
We're back with more of the Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook pregame show on Sports Radio 670 The Score with Mully, Patrick Manley, and Anthony Heron. Brought to you by Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook, official sportsbook of the Chicago Bears. Download the Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook app today. Welcome back to the pregame and Happy New Year to everyone. And uh, if you're feeling a, a little bit rough this morning, people sometimes do, I'm told. <laughs> Uh, this time of year, uh, you got to remember the new Zing Zang Bloody Mary canned cocktails, premium vodka already in the can, always ready, perfect for your game day tailgates, and please Zing Zang responsibly. Uh, I would say, listening to Matt Eberflus there, they apparently have been talking about Justin Jones to defensive end. That's interesting to me because I don't – I think that he's been better than maybe – some of the players they've lined up uh, on the defensive line, there hasn't been great abundance of production on the defensive line. In fact, it's a, it's a, it's an embarrassment. They got eight and a half sacks total from defensive linemen uh, this year. That's not uh, accounting um, the fact that I think Roquan is still the second leading sacker on this team, and he's been gone since, what, week seven? It was the last game he played in, something like that, game seven? Um, it's just crazy to, to think about the lack of production there. So you move him outside, you try a young guy inside. They're, they're going to be shopping for a three technique. Um, we know that from Matt Eberflus. You know, he talked about that position being the engine of the defense and how you have to have that guy. Uh, and who knows? Maybe they get lucky. Maybe Indy gets rid of a player that ends up coming here. I don't know how the offseason will play. But Justin Jones moving at this point of the year to a defensive end position seems like a trial for next year. Not at the end, but just at the ability to move him around a little bit and see what value he has to you because you're probably replacing him in, in the offseason. I think it's a part of why I've, you know, my anticipation has been that even though Justin Jones at, at times, I'd say on, uh, for the bulk of the season, has been their best defensive lineman, at least their most productive, not only statistically, but who's, who's affected the pocket more frequently mm-hmm. than anyone else. I think that's been Justin Jones. But that being said, because he plays the premier position up front, it's, it struck me as being may, maybe least likely that he would be one to return next year because it is the premier position up front of the defensive line. And so you need an upgrade at three technique because that guy's got to be a bona fide shop wrecker for this defense to truly be great. And Justin Jones as a three technique is not a bona fide shop wrecker. But that doesn't mean he can't have a role within your defensive front. And I think, you know, to your point, to your point, Molly, not only about, you know, him not being the three technique of the future for the Bears. And I don't think they necessarily signed him. They, they signed Larry Ogunjobi, hoping he could at least be a stopgap three technique. And, you know, he's never been a bona fide shop wrecker either, but he was at least a guy they were willing to pay some significant money to. Then you sort of downgrade and, you know, for lack of a better term, settle for Justin Jones because the Okanjobi deal doesn't work out since he failed the physical. So I don't think, you know, Ryan Poles or anyone else thought that signing Justin Jones was going to be necessarily their long-term answer at 3-Tech, but he is a guy with some skill. He is a guy with some penetration ability. So to try him out at end, he's, he's played a few snaps at end in certain packages earlier in the season here. And so over the last couple of weeks, if they get a more extended look at that, now at least you know and, and you get the opportunity to see you know, not only whether or not there's anyone else in-house, whether that's an Armand Watts or something like that, to say, all right, can you be a rotational piece inside also? But 
can Justin Jones be someone if Alcadine Muhammad is not here as maybe your your best run defender as a defensive end? Certainly not a quality pass rusher. None of them have proven themselves to be. But can Justin Jones just slide out and be maybe a first and second down rotational defensive end for you, hit some blocks, and then when you get into your sub packages, now other people are going to come onto the field to rush the quarterback on the edge. You, you, just, you have the chance to just try some stuff out here, Patrick. So it just yes. it feels like they're just giving an audition everywhere. Well, it, it, unfortunately, I've been in this situation numerous times when you're out of the playoff hunt and you got practice squad guys coming up, guys go on IR that are injured but not injured. Um, maybe Jalen Jones could have played if they're going to the playoffs, but hey, put him on, put him on IR because you know he's got to take care of his finger. It happens. You understand it. This to me, and I'm looking at Justin Jones's contract. This is a kind of like a tryout for next year. The versatility, like you're talking about, the versatility of him. Can he be a rotational guy next year? Not be your star three technique, but be that that wave guy. You know, the second wave that comes in the D line. Uh, can he play anywhere? Can guys get injured? Can I put him in at D N next year if that guy's injured? But he can also play three technique as a backup and come in and, and spell the spell the starter. Uh, but this is just the way the the NFL is at this time of year. I have no problem. I like the fact they're openly talking about. I'm going to play guys. We're just going to move them around. We're going to figure this thing out. It's almost like a second preseason to evaluate these guys for next year, and I got no problem with it. Yeah, I, I think it's smart uh, mm-hmm. business policy. I mean, you know, you know, if the guy's not good enough to be your number one, then you better know if he's good enough to be in a wave of sure. players that you use. And you know, it, it, the contract isn't uh, isn't formidable. You can handle whatever the money is. It's uh, you know, the the There's a couple of points to be made about this offseason that I think are really interesting. One would be, I am, I, I, I thought it was a shocking statistic that the Bears have played 18 rookies and that 30% of your defensive snaps have gone to a rookie this year. Think about that. They did not have a first-round draft pick. Now, they had a couple of second-round picks, and those guys have played the whole year. But when 30% of your snaps – are going to rookies and you never had a number one pick, that means you're you've been filling in a lot of positions with a lot of guys that that no one ever heard of. That, that came later in the draft or you you found on a practice squad or you thought this is a good investment in an undrafted free agent. And there and that's a that's a lot. That's a lot of snaps. And I'm not saying that you can't succeed by doing it that way, but hopefully that if you're if you're using guys that in that fashion, hopefully you found someone who's good enough to maintain and keep, but you're also looking to replace a lot of that. You, you don't want um, – you, you want a little bit of, of somebody that has a little gravitas to them and a, and a little bit of a background and a, and a, uh, a history that makes you believe they're going to succeed and not just try to coach up every position. Well, like the – like what Jack Sanborn has been yes. able to do for himself in playing himself into a role where you say, okay, if you know he's he's not an elite middle linebacker, at least not yet. Don't want to necessarily put a ceiling on guys, but is he someone who is productive enough week in and week out as a starter that you say, if there's anywhere that that we don't necessarily have to, can can we prioritize other spots? Then perhaps inside linebacker is one of those spots with a healthy Jack Sanborn. And I think on the back end here, Jalen Jones has That's really impressed me. Yes. Week over week, yep. man. I mean, he's kind of turned into the, the Jack Sanborn of the secondary with the comfort he shows, the aggression he shows on the back end. He just he looks like he belongs, mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a big thing for an undrafted rookie free agent at that position 
at corner, and in the way that Allen Williams has been deploying the secondary lately, a lot more man coverage here in recent weeks, partly because of youth and inexperience. We've seen some blitz, certainly on, on the back end also. They went away from it for a couple of weeks where Brisker and Gordon were out. Now that you got Brisker and Gordon back into the lineup, we've seen a couple of games now, them ramp the blitz package back up as they had begun to do previously. But Jalen Jones has really impressed me. Yeah, and I think what they're doing too is they're developing depth for the future. These guys are going to be on rookie contracts. <clears throat> you know, they have all this money to maybe go find a veteran that can, you can, can fill in and be a starter and a star, and you're hoping some of these young guys become stars, but I think they're depth. I think that's what you're developing. And I think you, if you take this roster right now, and I, we talked about this before, and you make – like the O-line right now is not good enough. If you made them backups to what could be other starters that came in, mm-hmm. if you took the DBs, made those guys – besides uh, the young guys that are playing now, not, not, not the guys that are on IR and injured – if you take those guys and make them backups, then it's a pretty good roster. If you make these guys backups, then they're doing a nice job of developing this roster for the future. Absolutely. All right, we're going we're gonna to head out to Detroit. We're going to bring in uh, Tim Twentyman. We're going to talk about what we're looking at with this, uh, uh, with this Detroit team and the excitement uh, that they built up at some point. Is the quarterback a keeper? How good – uh, is this team how far ahead of the Bears are they really? It was a one-point loss at home to them, but they did win the game. So we'll find out uh, how much better they've been playing. Dan Campbell, always a, a fun guy to uh, to talk about. So we'll do that with Tim Twentyman next. It is the pregame show on the Score. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.